welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. I know a lot of people think that Monday's the start of the week, but Sunday's the start of the week. Isn't it awesome to actually come in to hear the house of, uh, to, to come to the house of the Lord and to hear the word of the Lord and worship with, God, with God's children at the very beginning of the week. Isn't that such an awesome thing to, to think about? Yeah. My wife thinks so. <laughs> Everyone's still half tired. That's all right. Um, I am so excited about this new sermon series um, called Let's Talk About Sects. <laughs> I just put my timer on. Not to be confused with sex, which is the S-E-X. What I'm talking about this morning is S-E-C-S-E-C-C-T-S. Um, and like I've been telling Christy, if there was ever a series that it's going to be difficult for me not to put my foot in my mouth, it is this series. Uh, because it's going to be really exciting looking back, but also looking forward as to how this relates to our, um, our lives today. So um, I'm really, really excited. It's just been a bit of a journey I've been on. Um, just for those that are perhaps new to this church, we have all of the Bible, all of the sermon notes on the Bible app. You just have to go to the Bible app or download it, go to events, make sure your mobile data is on, and you can actually download or read along with the sermon notes, which is really, really good as well. Um, so yeah, this sermon series, what is it all about? And why is it important for today? So sex as an S-E-C-T, what is that? It usually means, or it's the word given to an offshoot or like a splinter or a subgroup of the main group. So a whole lot of people that were a part of the main group, they decide to sort of split off and become their own group um, with their own focus, whether it's religious or political or philosophical. Um, There are a lot of groups, but if a group sort of splits off, that's usually what is called a sect. And around Jesus' time, there were a whole lot of sects in Judaism. So Judaism is um, the, the Jewish people, they, they grew up with the Torah, which is the Old Testament, worshipping Yahweh, uh, which is the one true God. And, and that's really the, the roots of our, our Christian faith. Um, so that was Judaism. Uh, but there were a lot of sects that splintered off the main Um, group of Judaism, Um, and I want to talk about four of them over the next few weeks. So Pharisees, Sadducees, Zealots, and Essenes. And these were were strong groups in the time of Jesus. Um, Most of them did not like Jesus, or they sort of liked Jesus as long as they agreed with his theology, but as soon as he said something that they didn't agree with, they hated him for it, they wanted to kill him for it. Um, And if I was to, to sum up these four sects, um, and, and what their main personality or thrust or emphasis was. Pharisees, they were legalistic. They were the legalists of the day. Um, the Sadducees, they were the liberals um, or the syncretists. Synchronists? Syncretists. Um, they, they liked blending or merging um, and compromising. Three, the zealots, they were just like the fanatics of the day, um, wanting to see God's kingdom come by force. And then there were the scenes. And they weren't really seen much because they just wanted to abandon the world altogether and live by themselves and wait for God to come. Uh, So these were incredible sects in Jesus' day. Um, And I think they are incredibly relevant to our day because spirits don't really die. And if there was a religious spirit around in Jesus' day attacking Jesus and his people, you can be certain that a couple of thousand years later, that same spirit with the same emphases is going to be attacking God's people 
today. So although I'm going to be looking back and looking at the, a little bit of the history of the sects in Jesus' time, you can be very, very sure that we struggle with these sects today, whether it's legalism or liberalism or being a fanatic or just wanting to forget the world and wait for Jesus to come back. These things are affecting us today, and we need to make sure that we're navigating through life very clearly right in the center of God's will and, and be careful not to fall into these ditches or these pitfalls or be waylaid or move off track. So, yes, these sects were around in Jesus' day, but these things are very much a part of our lives today, and we've got to be so careful and on our guard. And I would go as far as to say, yeah, it's very prevalent in the wider church community, but these things probably are in our church today, in Renew Church. And I'll go a little bit further. Maybe a lot of these areas are in my heart and in your heart. Uh, very, very relevant things that the devil comes in and brings to us, wants to get us off track, wants us to fall into these ditches. And like I said, I really hope I don't put my foot in my mouth, but there are probably going to be a few times over the series that hopefully you're not offended by me, but maybe you'll be triggered or upset with what I say. So if that happens to you, know that I love you with all my heart. Most of you guys know me by now. I know that we love you to bits. Um, but you know, when you go to a doctor with a sore arm, usually the doctor will like, prod and poke. It's like, is it hurt here? No, is it hurt here? It's like, Ow! Oh, it hurts there. There's where the problem is. So if I share something over the course of the series, and it's sort of like one of those moments when someone touches a nerve, instead of getting upset and angry, please, I urge you to actually go to the Lord and ask him, why is what has been said, why has that evoked a response in me? Why am I sensitive about that area? Is there something you want to do in my life, Lord? Is that cool? And every, I've got everyone's um, attention now. It's like, oh, this is going to be interesting. I better take notes for it. And so, so let's jump into Acts 20, verse 28, as a bit of an introduction. This is Paul, the apostle, and he's talking to the, um, the elders in, in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. He says, so guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has a Pointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves, wolves will come in among you and after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day and my many tears for you. And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. Paul is warning against distorting the truth. And, you know, with... um. If, if any of you are guitarists, you know and very familiar with the distortion pedal, like if you're an electric guitarist. You, like it's, it's a guitarist's best friend. And I just want to say thank you for all of those guys that gave me um, affirmation when I played the electric guitar last Sunday. I just was in my happy place. Um, and usually, like 20 years ago, it was like the, the 60s and 70s, 50-year-olds were saying, Simon, that's a bit too heavy, that's a bit too loud, it's, like, it's a bit too rocky, we shouldn't have that sort of music in the house of God. Now it's like the 50s and 60-year-olds are coming to me and saying, Simon, that's like awesome, it's like, come on. So maybe it's an age generation thing, but um, I, was, I was loving, I was in my happy place. Anyway, getting back to distortion pedal. Like, as soon as you click that distortion pedal, you can have it like on just over zero or right up to 11, um, and it's all distortion. But what that does is it, it, it takes a clear message from the guitar and it makes it distorted. 
So when I'm talking about these things um, and distorting the truth, we may not have um, 100% distortion in our lives, but sometimes we have like uh, 1% distortion. It is still distortion. And God is imploring us and saying we, we need to be aware um, that there are things in our lives and different movements we can follow um, and flavors that come along and different trends that bring distortion to the truth. And we've just got to be aware of that. And we know that there's no condemnation in Jesus. So um, as I go through again, um, understand it's not coming from Jesus if you're feeling a little bit condemned. It's only from the devil um, that the Holy Spirit will work in our hearts and bring clarity to, to the gospel and the Holy Spirit through our lives. So I'm really excited. Are you excited? Let's look at the first one of these four groups this morning, Pharisees. If there was one word that could define the Pharisees in Jesus' day, it's legalism. And if there's one word that could define the religious spirit today, it is legalism. What does that mean? Believing that, that adhering to a certain set of rules will make you more acceptable to God. Believing that adhering to a certain set of rules will make you more acceptable to God. And again, this can be extreme, like people adding to the gospel and saying that the cross of Jesus Christ is not enough, that we've got to add to that. Um, but it could be as minor as saying, well, Simon's more acceptable to God than Mitch because Mitch has got a couple of tattoos. So, well, this is going to be exciting, this series. And I understand it's a journey, and in our passion and zeal, we can really... Like there's two ditches as we journey along with Jesus. We want to be in the will of God. There's, I believe there's the ditch of lawlessness on one side um, and, and license. And on the other ditch, there is legalism and the religious spirit. So often in our passion to avoid one ditch, like we don't want to get into lawlessness and we're so passionate about avoiding that ditch, ultimately we end up avoiding it so much that we fall into the ditch of legalism. And vice versa. So my heart is that we walk right in the center of God's will and avoid all these ditches. So the background of the Pharisees, they were the largest sect um, in Judaism, um, pretty much the closest in theology to Jesus. Um, a lot of the theology behind the religious spirit is actually quite sound. It's how it's outworked. Um, so they were the largest sect in Judaism, closest in theology to Jesus, but they hated him the most. They wanted to kill him which shows you the, the root behind the religious spirit. They were well known for four things. Their passion to be pure and holy before God. Their passion for the word of God. They had the Old Testament, which was the Torah. Their passion to hold true to traditions and their pride and hypocrisy. So sort of three of those were all right. But the last one, they were absolutely famous for their pride and Hypocrisy. They had two lines of authority. They absolutely loved the word of God and held that in the highest authority, but they also held tradition in the highest authority, sometimes higher than the authority of the word of God. And there are churches around today that they say, well, it's not just the word of God, it's the traditions over 2,000 years. Those are equally as important. The Pharisees melded the principle with the method, the word of God with the trend. Uh, the, the tradition, uh, and that's not a good thing. I'll talk about that later on. But they had a very, very noble beginning. The Pharisees understood that hundreds of years ago, God judged Israel for its idolatry, for its sin, for its adultery, for its backslidden heart. Um, and over many, many times when, G when God's pleading with, the, with, with Israel, 
please return to me. They didn't, and in the end, God judged the nation of Israel, and they went into captivity, um, and it was not a, a good time. So the Pharisees remembered that. They understood that the, the Israelite nation um, attracted the wrath of God because they disobeyed God's law, and they were absolutely determined to do everything in their power not to break God's law again. They, they wanted to please God. They didn't want to, to have the wrath of God on them. So they said, okay, if this is the way to please God by obeying rules and regulations, we're going to do this with all of our hearts. So in the Old Testament, there are like 613 commands in the law of Moses. The Pharisees added 50, or over 1,500 additional laws to the law of Moses. Why did they do that? It's called fence laws or fence rules. So they were absolutely determined not to break God's rules again. Um, but they thought, well, what if we accidentally break, break them? It's still going to be breaking laws. So they invented laws around laws so that um, it would be so hard to break this one, but very, very difficult to break this one. We wouldn't break the original law accidentally because we had all of these fence laws around it uh, that they forgot the whole point altogether. They un didn't understand the context of why God gave some rules and regulations in the Old Testament to begin with. They only thought it was about obeying the rules and not about relationship with, with God. They invented all of these rules, and before long, the whole thing was, we've got to obey the rules and we've got to obey the laws. There's nothing about relationship with God anymore. They didn't understand that, that, that God loves relationship. That's the way to, to draw close to God. It was all about rules. They invented rules upon rules upon rules. They forgot the reason behind them. Uh, and some of these things are ridiculous. For example, we understand that um, in the Old Testament, it says to, to, to not work on the Sabbath, which is a good principle when you understand behind it. But this is what the Pharisees made it to be. You could not spit on the Sabbath because that would disturb the dirt and you would be guilty of plowing. You could not swat a fly on the Sabbath because then you would be guilty of hunting. A woman could not look at a reflection on the Sabbath because she might see a gray hair and pluck it out, which would be work. If your house was burning down on the Sabbath, you could not carry any clothes out of it. However, you were allowed to put on as many layers of clothes as you could because you actually now weren't carrying them out. You were wearing them, so that was okay. So they invented a whole lot of loopholes as well. Um, the law and rules never deals with sin. It shows us what sin is, but you're never going to get clean by obeying the rules. <laughs> so... Um, in Jesus' day and in our day today, what are the characteristics of a pharisaical heart? Remember, things can come in that can take us off track. Number one, a Pharisee focuses on the outward and not the inward. A Pharisee focuses on the outward and not the inward. I just want to read from Matthew 23. Like Jesus, man, he was brutal on the Pharisees, so much more brutal than any sinner, which is, we need to think about that for a while, but man, like he was righteously angry and upset and hacked off. Like he had righteous issues with the Pharisees, and so much so there's a whole, like Matthew 23, there's, it's called the seven woes, and he was relentless. Let's just read some of these. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees? Teachers of religious law were the scribes, they were very close in relationship to the Pharisees. Uh, they were learned, educated people that that understood, or they thought they understood the law of God, and they uh, made commentaries on that, and they made extra laws again. So Pharisees and scribes were, were, were very close, thick as thieves. For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, 
full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first watch the inside of the cup and the dish, wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will be clean too. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. <laughs> Brutal words. Just imagine if I got up here and said, oh, Renew Church, you guys are filthy. Like, that would be terrible. But Jesus had no problem um, when he saw the spirit behind or at work at some of these people. So, for example, they were all about the outward appearance and really didn't even think about the, the sinful parts of their heart that no one saw. So Jesus delighted in hanging out with people that were broken and that were, were searching for the truth and needed healing. Uh, so pretty soon he got a reputation um, that he was a friend of sinners, which is a quite a good reputation to have, actually, that he hung out with tax collectors. As a Pharisee, you never hung out with them because then you'd be guilty by association. Um, he, he had meals with these people, and obviously there would be some alcohol there and some food, and, and people probably drank to, um, overdrank and um, overate. Um, we don't ever see Jesus doing that, by the way. But by association, they said, well, Jesus is a drunkard. Jesus is a glutton. They never saw him, um, what he was doing inside these homes of the tax collectors. But by association, they just assumed it was all about the outward appearance, and they judged him for it. And, but they completely forgot that they had a whole lot of hatred in their heart. It was okay to, to say that about Jesus. But then they started lying about Jesus, and they had no problem at all lying so much that uh, a lot of their testimony was the reason why Jesus died on the cross. Complete fabricated lies. It was all about the outward appearance. They never sort of thought to consider their own heart. So for example, say if this morning there, there were a couple of very scantily clad um, ladies, ladies of the night, uh, that would come, came into the church and they're really searching for the answers and they sat at the front and they were really, like, how many of us, what would be our first thoughts? Oh my goodness, look at those ladies. Well, no, don't look at them because they've hardly got anything on. Let's, let's find some modesty cloth. How dare they wear those things in church? Like, good grief, they at least need to sit out at the back or something. Now, what are they doing here anyway? I'm sure that they, they shouldn't be. Like, or it would be, man, thank God there are people that are searching and they're actually coming into our church community. That's a, that's a hard thing. What would be our initial thoughts? I've got an evil Knievel t-shirt on and I love this shirt. But I'm aware that the first time I wore it, um, because the rumor all happens even if we're holy and we love God, there are quite a few people that say, why on earth Simon's wearing that T-shirt? That's the worst T-shirt, number one evil. Um, so we can make a judgment call. Um, oh, it would be awesome if Simon, you know, what, what, what's up with your T-shirt? And I would have been gladly old. And I'm, this is, we're family today. I want to talk to you about this. Evil, it's E-V-E-L. It's not E-V-I-L. Like Evil Knievel, the stuntman in the 70s and 80s, he really, and he always said, I don't want to be associated with evil. My nickname is Evil Knievel. It's E-V-E-L. Secondly, he was a born-again Christian. You just Google online, and his testimony before he passed away was absolutely phenomenal. I dare you, YouTube, Google Evil Knievel testimony. He was an awesome Christian, an awesome man of God. So I take pride in wearing my Evil Knievel t-shirt. It's awesome. But again, like, Simon, that's the worst t-shirt you could wear, like, number one evil, evil pastor. <laughs> Someone said that to me this morning. 
Again, it's all about the outward. And if, we would, if they would only say, say, Jesus, you're hanging out with these people. Like, why are you doing that? Like, what is the reason? Let's, let's engage and let's talk. If someone's doing something that we don't quite understand, let's build relationship with them. Uh, because so often our first impressions are not the right impressions. Secondly, a Pharisee is quick to attack and cancel people who don't act exactly like them. Pharisee is quick to attack and cancel people who don't act exactly like them. Like I said, the Pharisees, they welded the word of God with their traditions, uh, with the way they thought that you could stay holy and pure. Uh, And if anyone disagreed with them or, or preached a little bit different or didn't act pure or holy the way they did, they would cancel them. They would hate them. Um, they, they would do everything they can. They would go out of their way. Um, this is like today, people will, you know, you put a Facebook post up or an update and people that don't even know you will like start to disagree with you online without any relationship at all. Or um, over a disagreement, they will break fellowship and break relationship with you. And if you don't do life or do Christianity exactly the way they want, and I'm not talking about the black and white, I'm talking about the gray areas. Um, So I'm not talking about compromise at all, but there is actually quite a lot of gray areas in our faith and how we navigate life. Um, But modern-day Pharisees, um, they can agree with you theologically, but if you don't practice faith exactly like them um, in the gray areas, man, they're going to hate you. They're going to separate from you. They're going to speak against you. For example, how to worship the Lord. The Bible is very clear, like worship the Lord. But how do we? have we actually got a blueprint to how to do that? But yet, I remember back in the day, people accused me of, Simon, drums are evil. Like, you can't have drums. Like, we, we laugh about that now. But when I was getting involved in youth work, that was a big deal, drums on a Sunday. Uh, people say, well, Simon, you can't use those songs because they don't mention Jesus in them. So I, I talk to Christy all the time, and I don't mention her name. She knows I'm talking to you. We're a Christian church. We love, like that song at the end, there was hardly was Lamb of God, I think, but we didn't actually mention Jesus. But people say, we can't use any worship songs that don't specifically mention the name Jesus in them. Or what about those worship songs that, Simon, they're all me-centered, and it's all about my walk, and it's not glorifying to God. Have we read the book of Psalms? And how personal that was, and how over, like 40% of the Psalms were specifically and blatantly laments, um, 70% of the Psalms contain laments which, where people were crying out to God and saying, God, why am I feeling like this? But it was still worship to God. And people said, Simon, we can't, we can't sing those songs because, because they're sung by Bethel Church. And well, we don't want anything to do with Bethel Church, shall we? Because man, I don't know why they say that. But <laughs> And then it goes on and on and people break relationship over these things. How to worship the Lord, how to preach the word. It says preach the word in season and out of season. It doesn't say how to preach the word. So there are some people that, like I'm a topical preacher, I love topical preaching, but then there's a exe, exegetical preaching. Is that what it's called? Um, expositional preaching where it's like you go through verse for verse. And, um, we, it doesn't actually matter how we preach the word of God as long as we're preaching the genuine word of God. But people get hung up on all of this. Which Bible translation is correct? There's another big one. Um, we've got to realize that the Bible wasn't originally written in English. And there is always going to be translational difficulties as we translate the Bible from one, uh, one language to another. And all the Bible translations I've used here at this church, I'm very careful to cross-reference and to look at every Bible verse in multiple Bible translations. Um, so it's pretty much accurate. But people lose fellowship over this um, because we don't, believe or do the gray areas um, exactly the way they want us 
to do them. Number three, a Pharisee feels called to be the Holy Spirit in people's lives. A modern-day Pharisee feels compelled to force their convictions on others long before the Holy Spirit has addressed that issue in a person's life. John 16, verse 7, But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. This is what Jesus is saying, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you, and when he comes, he, the Holy Spirit, will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. It's the Holy Spirit's purpose description to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. It's not Simon Drake's position description to try and convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. It doesn't say when Simon Drake is born in 2023, then he will convict the world of sin. It's, it's the Holy Spirit's job. And if we try and do the Holy Spirit's job for him, usually we don't do it very well at all. We bring damage to people's lives because the Holy Spirit is always at work in people's lives. I think a reason why this is, is there are uh, many Christians, perhaps, and, and, and many churches, and they downplay the work of the Holy Spirit um, in their churches. And I'm not bringing a judgment, it's just an observation. Um, and they really don't talk about the Holy Spirit at all. So if the Holy Spirit is pretty much non-existent in, in people's lives, in a community's lives, of course you're going to take on board what the Holy Spirit does and feel it's your responsibility to, to bring conviction to people. And if they're doing something you don't like, man, you're going to rebuke them because you're doing the work, the Lord, work of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to attack them, and you're going to say, Mitch, you've got to do this, and, you, and that's wrong. And, you, and we actually end up trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit um, and trying to rebuke people because we think it's what we need to be doing and we forget about the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. So yeah, we got to bring teaching and we got to bring relationship and stuff, but at the end of the day, it's the Holy I can't make anyone change. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. Pharisee focuses on the outward, not the inward. A Pharisee is quick to attack and cancel people who don't act exactly like them. A Pharisee feels called to be the Holy Spirit in people's lives. Number four, Pharisee loves justice and despises grace. And I love justice. I'm, I'm such a justice guy. At the start of the year, um, I went to pay, filled up my car with gas, went to pay uh, for it. And there was, like, the, the lady said, oh, no, there's, there's two charges. Like, you must have, like, um, put up the, the pump and then took it off and then did another uh, transaction. And that wasn't the case because I'd filled up my car. Like, I couldn't fill my car up with any more gas. Um, but they said, no, it was your, it's you. You've got to pay the $23. And man, like, I, was, I fumed about that. It's like, this isn't right. It's like Simon Drake, the little man, going against a giant of BP. <laughs> and like, I was writing letters and like hours upon hours, like, no, I'm going to win this fight for $23. It's a justice thing. And at the end of the day, it's like, after months, it's like, what am I doing? This is like making me all bitter and twisted. Like, Simon, pay the blimmin' 23 bucks and get on with it. So I did, and like, I've been free ever since. But it's just that the justice of it it's like, ah, and, and a lot of us are like that. In uh, Luke 15, 11 to 32, it's the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. Uh, we know that the son, like he squandered, like took his dad's inheritance before his dad was dead, which was a very dishonorable thing to do, um, worthy of death, um, to be honest. And he squandered it. He comes back and, and, and wants to just be a servant, but the, the father welcomes us back as a, as a full son. Um, but actually, it shouldn't be called the parable of the lost son. It should be the parable, I believe, it should be the parable of the two sons. Because there's another son 
we don't really think about much when we think about the prodigal son as the older brother who when the younger brother came home, everyone thought he was dead. He despised and hated his younger brother. He didn't even want to participate in any of the party. Um, Everyone thought his son was dead, but uh, his brother was dead because his life and his relationship with the father was all about a works-based acceptance or affirmation, works-based righteousness. So he found it very, very hard to give grace because now this guy needs to have the consequences. He needs to to be judged. He can't receive grace. And some people, absolutely, they need to have consequences. But but aren't you so, like for those of of us uh, and you, that you've, you've had people that have not been a Christian their whole lives, but on their deathbeds, they've given their lives to Jesus and they receive grace right at the last minute. Aren't you glad for the grace of God? Aren't you glad for the grace of God that, that saved a sinner, not pointing anyone's out there, but me, a sinner like me? So if, if we focus on um, that, oh, where am I? The, the, the justice and not the grace, and, and we've got this religious deal in our lives, then so often we can either really condemn ourselves because we know we've got stuff in our own lives, um, if God was to judge us righteously, we'd, we'd, we'd be sunk. But so often we have a lot of grace for ourselves and no grace for others. A Pharisee focuses on the outward, not the inward. A Pharisee is quick to attack and cancel people who don't act exactly like them. A Pharisee feels called to be the Holy Spirit in people's lives. A Pharisee loves justice and despises grace. A Pharisee is good at contending but bad at contextualizing. So what does it mean by contending? Jude 1.3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once, uh, once for all delivered to the saints. So, and that word contend means defend vigorously. So this is like a good thing. We need to contend for the faith. We need to defend it vigorously, stand up for the truth and stand up for the word of God. So the Pharisees, they were actually really good at defending the word of God, they were very bad at contextualizing it. What does the word contextualize mean? It means simply to place something in context. To understand the context of what the word of God said. To understand the spirit behind um, the law and not just the letter behind the law. That's, you know, looking at the Old Testament, and there's a whole lot of laws, not just looking at, oh, don't do this, or actually looking behind that at the reason why God gave those requirements. Uh, And again, none of this stuff can save us. It's only the blood of Jesus. But then we understand the context of something. The the Pharisees were very poor at this. Um, They just didn't think about the context at all. Um, So much so that they thought that, okay, if we're going to think about the context before we bring the word of God or bring the word of God contextually into a situation, they saw that as compromise. And to be honest, if we just got a set of rules, it would be very easy to, to obey a set of rules. But when you're in our situation, we're led and we're followed and we're inspired and filled with the Holy Spirit, and we enter into situations where there's brokenness and where there's compromise, and when, and when people are far away from God, it'd be so easy to like lay the law down and say, well, these are the rules, you've got to please God. But when we're faced with a situation of asking God, Holy Spirit, how do you want me to act in this situation? How do you want me to, to share your life and your hope in this situation? 
Um, and think about that. I'm going to be talking about Sadducees next week. And they were very, very good at the contextualizing part, being relevant to culture. But they were very bad at the word of like contending for the word of, word of God. They like pulled most of the word of God apart. So we've got to understand that. And I think a lot of it is just being just good old-fashioned socially aware. Like being socially aware at the environment that you're in. And when you go to someone um, and they don't know about Jesus at all, don't go on about the mark of the beast to them or the end of the world or that they shouldn't be wearing tattoos like Mitch does or anything like that. <laughs> Sorry, Mitch. Um, well, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good thing to think about, like tattoos, alcohol, um, all those things. Look at the context. I'm not saying those things are good or bad, uh, but just look at the context with the Word of God Get alone with, with the Holy Spirit and ask him some things. Also, how to live a life not to cause other people to stumble as well is a big thing that we need to think about, and so often we forget about. So Pharisee is good at contending but bad at contextualizing. Legalism versus the gospel. I saw this several years ago, and I've sort of tweaked it a little bit. Legalism pursues holy living. The gospel pursues a holy God. Like, it's entirely impossible. It's sad, but it's possible that people could come to a church, and they, oh, I need to, I need to be forgiven of my sins, and uh, I need to have a relationship. So they, they come forward, they give their lives to Christ, but then they're immersed in a workspace, religious, um, rules-orientated church, and they think that's how you please God. So they can be going to church, and they can be technically saved, but be so far away from God, and not have a relationship with God at all. Sad. So legalism pursues holy living, the gospel pursues a holy God. Legalism teaches that righteous living will result in a relationship with God. The gospel teaches that a relationship with God will result in righteous living. Legalism says, if I obey, God will love me. The gospel says, because God loves me, I can and I want to obey. Like We still obey, but the focus is changed. Legalism is all about me and what I do. The gospel is all about Jesus and what he has already done. Legalism teaches that God is pleased when I'm perform, I perform well. The gospel teaches that God takes pleasure in me already because I am his son. Look, if there's anything that I've struggled with most of my life, it's that one right there. Legalism teaches that God is pleased when I perform well. The gospel teaches that God takes pleasure in me already because I am his son. Like, if I put my foot in my mouth today, like, God still loves me. That's an awesome thing to know. Legalism teaches that even for Christians, standing before God will be a terrifying thing. The gospel teaches that standing before God will be a wonderful thing. Legalism produces pride, condemnation, and hypocrisy. Speaking from experience, the gospel produces righteousness, peace, and joy. Pharisee focuses on the outward, not the inward. A Pharisee is quick to attack and cancel people who don't act exactly like them. A Pharisee feels called to be the Holy Spirit in people's lives. A Pharisee loves justice and despises grace. A Pharisee is good at contending but bad at contextualizing. And lastly, a Pharisee knows all about God, but God doesn't necessarily know him. Pharisee knows all about God, but God doesn't necessarily know him. If I could have the band up, it would be awesome, thanks. I've been mulling over one of the most sobering verses in the Bible lately. Matthew seven twenty two. it says, On that day, and this is talking about the end of days, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? 
and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So first of all, it's almost like Jesus is pointing through time at the Pentecostal church and all of these people that are doing all these outward supernatural things. Uh, But then he says something crazy. And, And then will I declare them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. A couple of things there. That word know or knew is gnosko in the Greek. It means intimacy on every level. And I've read this my whole entire life. And I thought, okay, like it says that I need to know God better. If I don't know God, then he's going to say, depart from me. And I've got to, I've got to stress and strive to know God more. And it's, it's all about me spending time with God. Just realize something for the first time. It actually doesn't say in verse 22, then I will declare to them, you never knew me. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It says, I never knew you. And, and we said, well, God knows all of us. Like he knows every year of our head. What does this actually mean? And that's an interesting word. Does God really know Simon Drake? Do I let Jesus really and truly into my life? Does he know me on that intimate level when I'm struggling, when I'm upset, when I'm disillusioned, when I'm not sure what's going on? Do I let him in in those times? And do I open the door and say, Jesus, I want you to know me in in, in these, these areas in my life? I've read a couple of amazing books. Um, one's called, is it Soul Heart, Soul Change or Heart Change? And it really is talking about lifting the level of our hearts and letting the Holy Spirit really into our lives and the areas of our lives that we're not pr- too proud of. And the whole premise of the book is, why is it that so often so many Christians, we're saved? Like we're going to heaven, but we are not transformed. Like, we can go through 50 years of being saved, but still be struggling with an issue that happened in our childhood. Or if someone says something as a 49-year-old Christian, and that makes me really upset, or that brings up all the insecurity in my life, um, why, when we know that God, we're a new creation, um, that, that God is in that process of wholeness, but why is it that we can be saved and not really transformed. I really do think it's as simple as this, that we don't let God in truly to our lives. And we don't really say, God, I'm, I'm struggling with this person. They said this. Holy Spirit, why is that affecting me so much? Why am I hurt in this situation? And then do some thinking about that and invite Jesus to know you and invite Jesus to, to highlight areas in your life, and it might be in, in like 20 years ago, uh, and then he will start to say, well, Simon, you were acting like this because in this time in your life, this happened and you still need some healing in that. Or this happened and you, Simon, to be honest, you're still offended by that person. Or Simon, this is, you're thinking like this because you got some bad teaching back in the day um, or some distorted teaching, and really I, I want to bring right teaching into your life. And that is the process of Jesus knowing us. It's not about all being holy and and prophesying and doing all great works and external things. God knowing me or Jesus knowing me, in my opinion, is just sitting before him when we're upset and lonely and even in the good times and opening that door. Because to be quite frank and honest with us, Christians, we we can have the door of our hearts locked to Jesus. 
And why do I know that? Revelation 3.20, Jesus said to a church, so he's talking to Christians, look, I stand at the door and knock. So Jesus is on the outside of people's hearts and he's knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Don't you want the door of your heart to be wide open to Jesus? And so often we have, well, well, Jesus, you can have the lounge because that's pretty tidy. And you you can have like the dining room, that's pretty good. But no, I'm going to have the the door of my attic closed to you. (laughs) Like You don't want to know what's up there. Um, But God knowing us, Jesus knowing us is opening the door. And that's a hurting, that's a tough process to work through. But in that process, you will find transformation. So as a wrap up to this, a Pharisee knows all about God and we're very good at that. But God doesn't necessarily know him. I love, I really try and pray, say, Holy Spirit, I want to emphasize Jesus at the end of every message. And I think that this is important when we're looking about the, at the religious spirit. We're looking at lawlessness. We're looking at um, legalism and, and all of that sort of stuff. Liberalism and people that just want to escape the world and people that want to get up in arms and be real militant about the faith. It all comes back to Jesus and it all comes back to opening that door to him and allowing him into your heart, allowing him truly to know you. So let's, up, let's up, upstand. Let's be upstanding. Let's close our eyes. So I'm just going to ask for a good old-fashioned show of hands soon. If you know that the Holy Spirit's working in your life in this aspect, and there's no pressure with that, there's no shame, but I really do think, I always say this, that there is a window of grace to somehow to respond to the Holy Spirit in our lives. And secondly, if you want to come forward and receive prayer for whatever it is, it may not necessarily apply to this message at all, but if it's healing or you just you need some help with something, um, as we sing, I'd love to invite you forward and there'd be an awesome group of guys and girls that, that are prayed up, they're faithful um, to see a miracle in your life. And miracles are happening every week. So if you're here and, and there's been an aspect of this message that um, has impacted you and, and you want to say, God, I respond to that, especially around opening our door and the doors of our life to to God. I just want to raise your hand. If you could raise your hand, it would be awesome. Thank you so much. You can put your hand down if if you've raised it. Anyone else? Thank you so much for responding. Father, we know that there are spirits at work um, as they were in your life Um, when you were on earth, Jesus, but today as well, spirits don't change. Um, To get us off track, to get us waylaid, to to, to try and make us trapped um, and off course. And one of those things is a religious spirit. Lord, I just rebuke the religious spirit in this church right now. Um, In my life, Lord, aspects where I still cling to legalism, Lord, I'm so sorry for that. And I repent of that. I I turn away. Um, Lord, that, that verse that says, away from me, you workers of, doesn't say you workers of, Legalism, it says you're workers of lawlessness. The very thing we want to avoid by getting um, caught up in a whole lot of rules is is lawlessness. But yet, when we're guilty of having a religious spirit or getting caught up in legalism, you still call it lawlessness, God. And and we want to say sorry for that this morning. Lord, it is sin, and we want to turn away. We want to repent of the sin of legalism today in Jesus' name. And Holy Spirit, Jesus, I don't want you to be out in the rain in my heart 
Lord, I want to open the door wide. And, and that's, that can be scary, but Lord, you love us so much. So much so you died for us so we could have forgiveness. So Lord, I pray as, as a church community and those that are listening to this, Lord, may we open the door of our heart. If things are hurting and upset us um, and, and cause a wrong track of thinking in our lives or trigger us, Lord, may we be determined to spend time with you, God, and invite you into the areas of brokenness and hurt and wrong thinking and allow you to minister to us on the inside. And as we do that, Father, as your parable said, the outward and the external will take care of itself, God, as we are so diligent to allow you completely and wholeheartedly to to come into the inside of our lives. So Lord, we surrender afresh. We give you our lives afresh. Thank you that there is righteousness and peace and joy in your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being responsive to that. We are going to have a, just a, a time of worship to finish up. Finish off. If you want prayer for whatever reason, please don't be shy or embarrassed to come forward. God bless you guys. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.com.